All right, welcome to the conversation on the TYT Network. Uh, so I unveiled my five-year plan recently, uh, saying how progressives uh, can take over the country and will take over the country, but we've got to run for local office and build up name recognition so we can get to higher and higher offices down the road. Uh, and a lot of folks uh, were already going in that direction, and so I want to feature them. And so we've got a couple of uh, guests like that for you guys today. We're going to start with Jennifer Larson. Uh, she is running uh, for freeholder in Essex County, New Jersey. She's going to explain what a freeholder is in a second. Uh, I, I do want to admit a couple of biases here. Uh, Jennifer went to Columbia, so did I. Yeah, okay, we're a little unbearable, but that's all right. Uh, and <laughs> and uh, and Jennifer is married to Jonathan Larson, our managing editor. Uh, I just want to be clear about and upfront about that uh, for you guys. Okay, now... Um, Jennifer, thanks for joining us. And what in the world is a freeholder and why are you running for it? Exactly. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I'm really delighted to be here. And um, I will tell you what a freeholder is. It's particular to New Jersey. It's left from the uh, days uh, before we signed the Declaration of Independence. And New Jersey had freeholders, those who could hold land free and clear, and they were allowed to run for office. Um, we still have freeholders, and what that is is a layer of county government that works with um, a county executive, and it's basically the equivalent of uh, commissioners in other states. So freeholder is okay. is part of your county government. I, I love that little history lesson. Uh, that is <laughs> such a antiquated, anachronistic <laughs> leftover. Uh, so uh, I assume you're not doing it for the for the uh, folks who own land and sticking out for them. So, yeah. <laughs> so why did you decide to run for freeholder in particular? So uh, exactly what you said. Uh, we've got to do everything at local. You know, so focused. We're also focused on the national election. And yet all the things that we encounter every day are either our local municipalities uh, under their purview or under the county's purview. I mean, the roads, the open spaces, the sheriff's department, the um, you know the the budget as to how we're going to preserve the environment, or what we're going to do in different initiatives that are too big for the municipalities to handle. So there's a lot there that you encounter every day, but it seems kind of invisible. It seems to me this kind of invisible layer of government, and uh, yet a powerful one, a very powerful one with um, budgetary uh, oversight. Yeah. So I, I love it because I want people to understand it's not just this, that it's a stepping stone that is essential for progressives to get to higher office, but uh, the freeholders control the sheriff's budget. Well, that's how we're going to get change. Yes. So for all the news that's happening today, it's that level that needs to realize, hey, we're doing policing wrong and we're going to have to fix it. So now, Jennifer, of course, everybody always cares about what your politics are on this show, right? And so uh, in, and in New Jersey, there's this unique, weird thing, or at least in the race you're in with, there's different lines. So what what are those lines and which line are you in? So I am a Democrat and I'm running against the Democrat in the primary. And Essex County is, is historically not completely Democratic, but the freeholders tend to be all Democrats. And that's fine, but how does how does someone come in and challenge that? How do you get new ideas into this? So the Democratic... Um, 
party will run together as a line and literally align. So if you go into the voting booth or on your voting ballot this year and you see Joe Biden and then all the way down and you say, oh, well, that's I'm a Democrat. I'm just going to click off these names and I don't even know who these people are at my local level. And yet the way it's set up looks like they're running as a block. So if I like Biden, I should like these people. And I'm running on the Bernie block in the line B with a lot of other progressives. Larry Hamm is one of them. He's running for Senate against uh, Cory Booker. And there are a lot of progressives on that line. And so on the other hand, they'll say, well, uh, these people must align with Bernie, which may or may not be true, completely true, but that's what it looks like to the voters. And so there's not really um, a place where they say, you are allowed to vote in this column and in this column and in this column. So there's sort of an inherent bias in uh, toward the the incumbents, the advantages, the incumbents. Definitely. Yeah, it's not a little, it's a lot. That's uh, incumbent yeah. protection racket, the way that they set that up. Uh, it, it, and if you're not paying close attention, you might not even realize you're on the Bernie line. They, they might think you're a Republican. Um, so oh, I'm sure that you've got the D, et cetera, but it makes it look like you're outside of the Democratic Party. Yes. Uh, I'm hoping that it ironically helps you because it makes people go, oh, these are the progressives. Because right. otherwise, how do they know who's a progressive and who's not? Um, right. So, so, okay, now as a progressive, what would you do as a freeholder? Let's start with the sheriff's office because it's in the news so much. Uh, the, the cultural policing, the training of policing, et cetera. What would you do about that? Well, as um, in, uh, Obama said in his speech the other day, it's got to the incidents that we need fixing, the, the incidents that are problematic are going to be uh, handled at the county and the local levels. And it's got to be at that community level to change things. And frankly, my team and I have looked into the budget the county budget, and there are lots of uh, blocks, you know, sheriff's department, X number of million dollars, but it doesn't break it down and say, well, that represents, you know, 17 salaries and, you know, uh, 14 facilities or whatever it is. It's not broken down. There are these lumps. So it's very um, opaque, the, the budget in the first place. So it's hard to tell from the outside anyway, what all the machinations are that get to those numbers. And uh, and I don't know that there's an open and transparent system. And this is the thing I'm I'm really passionate about, which is people don't even know that they have a freeholder that represents them. They don't know what a freeholder is. And your representatives, if they are not um, if they are not engaged with you, um, what's going on? What is going on? And so yeah. we have to engage uh, and ask those questions. And we have to look and say show up at meetings and say, what does this sheriff's budget represent? And can you please break it down for me? Yeah, I remember when I was running for Congress, that was actually one of the things I was most looking forward to if I won. Um, it, probably second after fiery speeches on the floor of the House. Um, <laughs> so uh, second was, give me the budgets. I, yeah. I run a business. I know, I know how to run. Uh, I, I know how budgets work. And you're not going to be able to hide anything from me. So here in L.A. Uh, and in California overall, we... Uh, apportion a good amount of money for homelessness and we take it out of taxpayers uh, pockets etc and then it's somehow hey look at that not a lot of it reaches the homeless and so boy i would love to be have enough power to say give me the budget it's non-negotiable i'm not asking you as members of the press and you're going to show me three and a half years later 
No, I want it right now. And as a freeholder, you have the, the, the power to do that. I think people don't understand how important that is. So that's why I love that you're running for that yeah. office. Um, so, so, by the way, before I ask you about your other uh, positions, what's your website, Jennifer? Because obviously, oh. I'm sure you're underfunded as opposed to the incumbent. Yes, yes, that's another thing. Only the Democrats, the Democrats are all running as a block. Um, our website is larsonforfreeholder.com. That's F-O-R, and it's Larson with an E, just like Jonathan. <laughs> there it is, Larson for, there it uh, is. Yeah. for freeholder.com. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And so, look, for all progressives that run uncorrupted, uh, donations are so important to get in, it, to just have them be competitive. Uh, otherwise, they, you got yeah. it's so hard, especially with the way the things are stacked in, in that particular ballot. And I would know a thing or two about that as well. All right. So, yeah. uh, Jennifer, uh, what are your other priorities uh, that if you know if you got in there, man, man you'd love to roll up your sleeves on those? Well, there's there's a, a really big issue that a lot of people care about, and it's um, we have uh, in Essex County we have a detention facility which we have a, a contract with the federal government to house ICE detainees, federal ICE detainees, and the freeholders are the ones who entered into this contract, and we bring in forty million dollars a year uh, into Essex County, and that's from housing these these um, ICE detainees. And people are opposed to it, but because it's a federal program, we don't have that much access to it. The only thing we can do is either make sure that the conditions are, um, are the best they can be and then start to back out of the contract in a very responsible way because you can't just, you know, some of these people have been arrested locally and their families are local, and um, but some haven't. And I think that you know, if it were up to me, I would, you know, I'd have a few things to say about the federal ICE uh, program. But as a freeholder, you can't say, you know, to the government, oh, you can't, you can't do this. You can say you can't do it here. And okay. I would like it if we would move toward you can't do it here. Well, you know, NIMBY is a very well-known political phenomenon, not in my backyard. And right. in, normally it's done for discriminatory purposes. I don't want you to put a homeless shelter in my backyard or help mm -hmm. African-Americans, et cetera. But wouldn't it be great if you had progressives uh, saying, yeah, I'm not going to let you discriminate against uh, people in our backyard, right. not in my backyard and not on my watch. I mean, Jennifer, the more I talk to you, the more I want everybody in the country running for <laughs> freeholder-like positions. <laughs> So yeah. I love that you took the initiative to do that. And and, and and obviously at the website, we're out of time, but larsonforfreeholder.com, you can also see, can you folks see more of your issues there? Yes, yes. And on Facebook, on our Facebook page and uh, and less on Twitter, but we're on Twitter as well. Yeah. Okay. All right. So more issues. If you can donate, that would be great. Progressives need help, especially at the local level and also volunteers. So, Jennifer Larson, thank you so thank much you. for joining us. We appreciate thank it. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much. All right, back on a conversation on TYT. Uh, now we're going to talk to another local candidate, but she's running for uh, state senate in California. And California it would be the, I think, fifth largest country or economy in the world if it was by itself. So these Senate seats are massively important. And District 11 covers San Francisco. So uh, Jackie Fielder joins us now. She's running... Uh, as a progressive challenger to an incumbent there. Uh, Jackie, welcome to the Young Turks. Thank you so much for having me, Shane. No problem. So uh, for 
you've gotten the obligatory uh, comparison to AOC uh, in the press, which is not such a bad thing because at least it gets you press and gives people a sense that you're a progressive, etc. Uh, but can you tell us uh, what your background is before you decide to run for this political office? Yeah, so I graduated from Stanford with a bachelor's in public policy and a master's in sociology. And after graduation, I got involved with the No Dakota Access Pipeline movement, which was a movement at Standing Rock Reservation. I am actually Lakota and Hidatsa, which are two tribes affected by the pipeline along the route. And I got involved via the defund DAPL movement and uh, basically founded the San Francisco Public Bank Coalition so we could take our $11 billion budget in San Francisco out of private prisons, the pipelines, uh, weapons manufacturing, and instead reinvest that in affordable housing, renewable energy, small businesses, and public infrastructure. Um, I've also led a campaign against our local police officers association and their dangerous use of force policy. And we won that. Uh, last year, we passed statewide legislation in Sacramento to create a pathway for public banks. And so, you know, I've gone up against giants before, Wall Street and fossil fuel corporations, um, obviously the police officers association. And now I'm taking on the most real estate-backed politician in the California legislature. Oh, I want to hear more about that. Um, so there's actually two set of funders for your uh, opponent that I'm fascinated by. Just real quick, I got to say, love that you're at the Dakota Access Pipeline. We probably cover that more than any media outlet in the country. Uh, love that you're working on the public bank. Uh, can I just ask, uh, did that come to fruition or, or not yet? No, public bank still has a ways to go. Right now, we're coming up against the, the problem of where are we going to get the money? Um, so we're trying to figure out, you know, especially now with the coronavirus and the recession, it seems like uh, this is a prime time to remind everyone that we need public banks, but we need the political will to actually fund them. And so that's where that's at right now. Yeah, uh, because, look, you got to go to where the money is. And uh, because that is your leverage and your power to be able to do systemic change. And so... All right. Now, you mentioned that you were uh, already organizing to make sure that you held the police accountable. Uh, so already uh, was like some folks think that, oh, we need it now because of the George Floyd situation. No, we've needed it forever. It's just that a lot of people woke up to it because of the George Floyd situation. Uh, a lot of the rest of us already knew about it, uh, as, as you did. And you were fighting on that. So your opponent, um, you, you've, you're worried about the money that he said. Why? What? money is he taking from uh, the police that that concerns you? Yeah, I mean, other than being funded by the real estate lobbyists and the developers across California, he's also uh, where he is right now because over the course of his 15-year political career, he's accepted more than $75,000 from law enforcement associations. And I, on the other hand, I started out this campaign uh, pledging to not accept any support whatsoever from law enforcement associations. I'm talking about local police unions like the San Francisco Police Officers Association to the state level associations like the California Correctional Association or the California Highway Patrol. Um, these are really strong influences. 
And in California, we often are kind of positioned as a progressive state. And that's true. We start off these a lot of legislation around police accountability and use of force and decarceration. They start out really progressive, but then the law enforcement associations come in the way and they assert their own agenda. Um, and this is something that we see at every single level, federal, state, and local. But here in California, we are actually in the middle of a moment where I actually challenged my opponent on Sunday to reject police contributions and donate $75,000 to mutual aid organizations and bail funds. And he actually took me up on that uh, just yesterday. He said that he would donate his re-election contributions from law enforcement associations and give that to youth organizations. But that falls short of all of the $75,000. So the rest of it comes from uh, his first state Senate campaign. And so now he's trying to attack me and say, I have accepted law enforcement association money, which is completely untrue. But uh, I'm finally glad that we are having the conversation because this is something that I have been pointing out for years now. And I think we're in a moment where we need to demand more of our politicians. Yeah, well, look, I'm an absolutist on that. So if, uh, I, you know, when I ran, uh, I I didn't not only take corporate PAC money, I didn't take union money because at the, at the end of the day, you know, if they give you money, they want you to do things for them. And in the case of the police union, it is almost always to avoid accountability for something horrific that they've done to the civilian population. So uh, I'm glad that you forced them to do that. He obviously would not have done that if you were not in the primary and did not have such a strong showing in the primary. So now you're moved on to the general election because in, in California, two Democrats can run against each other. And, and obviously he got, he got scared by your strong showing in that primary. So great job in putting pressure on him. You mentioned the real estate lobby. Uh, what does he take uh, from them? It's, it's got to be in the hundreds of thousands right now. Um, he has always been on the side of real estate developers as well as luxury real estate developers, uh, California, Apartment of, uh, California Apartment Association, as well as the California Association of Realtors. They represent both real estate developers and landlords. And he has sided with them. His big legislation this past year was SB 50, which is a bill that deregulates housing uh, in, in service of this idea that if we just build as much housing at, at all levels, no matter what, who they are affordable for, uh, we can actually build our way out of this affordable housing crisis. And so I oppose that. I actually think that we need to build thousands of affordable housing units as well as protect the housing that is already affordable, as well as protect tenants. And now with coronavirus, we need to cancel rent and cancel mortgages. We need to make sure that people aren't facing evictions or foreclosures after the shelter in place lifts. And that's exactly what we're seeing around the country. And that's something that he will not touch or budge on. Look at that, a, a Democratic incumbent believing in trickle-down economics. I would have never guessed. Um, so, uh, look, for the uninitiated, uh, Jackie, uh, they will ask, well, you got a Democratic incumbent. He's also LGBTQ plus community. Uh, you know, so wh why challenge him? I mean, good enough. 
so what's your answer to that? And that's it. He's not good enough. He has, he is where he is right now because he has been a tool of the real estate developers. He has been on the side of police officers associations every single time they kill someone. He has not called for accountability. Um, He has failed to represent his constituency, especially those who are on the margins of society, homeless people, undocumented people, low-income people, working-class people, people of color. You can ask people throughout this district, and they will largely tell you they either love him or they hate him. And those who hate him largely do because he doesn't care about displacement. He doesn't care about police violence. And he's only now coming around because it's politically expedient. And so we need someone who's, who's actually going to represent people, who's actually going to listen to everyday people, who is going to acknowledge the systemic uh, waste of hypercapitalism, where we have thousands of vacant units that exceed the number of thousands of homeless people we have on our street every single day, and that we have, you know, at this point, blocks and blocks of people lining up for food banks while we are literally destroying crops. There's something bigger going on. It has to do with our economic system. And if it's going to happen anywhere in the country, it's going to happen in this district as far as challenging the economic system. So, Jackie, we're almost out of time. And so it's hard to do this quick. But uh, in San Francisco, is one of the worst uh, homelessness problem uh, in the country. So uh, what is your sense of how to fix that? He's actually been silent on this issue for a long time, especially during coronavirus. Uh, right now, our our mayor has refused to put homeless people into hotels, despite the city actually paying for that. And so homelessness ends with housing. We need to contribute and put our money where our mouth is when it comes to homelessness and finally invest in housing as a human right that it is. My opponent has done nothing but argue for increasing law enforcement to sweep people away and move people across town between neighborhoods, which doesn't work. And we actually need to provide services for people, um, mental health and otherwise, and we finally need to make housing a human right. Yeah, that happens down here in L.A. as well. They just put people on a train and the train ends in Lancaster. So then you have more homeless in Lancaster. What an insane plan. That's not a plan. So it's just shuffling people around and and, and treating them they're, like they're disposable and not human. Um, so Jackie Fielder is a progressive. Jackie, what, what's your website that people can go to? It's JackieForSenate.com, J-A-C-K-I-E-F-O-R-Senate.com. So, look, so imp- important to support progressives because they run uncorrupted. Uh, and so they, without the big real estate money and the police union money, et cetera, they need your help uh, and volunteers. So JackieForSenate.com, Jackie Fielder, thank you so much for running and for joining us. Thank you so much.